could remain standing and take out your Bibles. We're going to be reading 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 through 15. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work, which he has built on it, remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. You may be seated. Let's go before the Lord, before we look at the foundation for living. The foundation for living. Lord God, we love your word. We rejoice that you love us so much that you sent your son on our behalf to live a holy life of obedience in our place. And then as the, insta- as the innocent substitutionary sacrifice on our behalf, declare us free from all blame through faith and trust in the Lamb of God, your Son, our Lord. Give us ears to hear now, we pray, this hour. Grant me the grace to communicate this, your glorious truth, to the hearts of your people. And bring to life this day any who are listening are yet dead in their transgressions and sins. Give them life, everlasting life, for Christ's sake. Amen. If you're with us for the first time, if you're visiting, if you're back with us, we welcome you all as we continue our exposition in Paul's epistle to the Corinthians, that is 1 Corinthians Uh, The question we want to consider today is, what are the essential characteristics of the Christian ministry? What are the essential characteristics of the Christian ministry? That is, what is the nature, what is the work, and what is the responsibility of the Christian minister and for those to whom they minister. That is Christ's church. Christ's church, those who are called to do the work of the ministry. We're reminded that we are all servants in Christ. In Ephesians 4, look at it, verse 10. He who descended, that is, descended out of heaven is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things, and he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for 
the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. The sobering truth of our text, 1 Corinthians 3, is that the Lord himself, the Lord of glory, our Lord Jesus Christ, is the one who's going to evaluate and assess the work of his workmen. And it should cause all of us to pause. Preachers who preach, primarily. Teachers who teach, those who labor in building up the body of Christ, and essentially for all who are part of the body of Christ. That we must be careful in what we use, that is the materials we use, in the work of the ministry. That what is being built upon the foundation is consistent with the foundation. Okay, again, because this is where we're going this morning. That what is being built on the foundation, Jesus Christ and him crucified, is consistent with the foundation. Now, this 1 Corinthians 3 text, as I said, applies primarily to preachers, church leaders in Christian ministry, yet in a broader sense, this judgment, this divine assessment, um, it, it includes all believers, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You'll not be judged for one sin. Jesus bore that judgment, amen? Amen. So we'll see what we're getting at here. We'll see what Paul's getting at here. This is not a judgment. This is not the great white throne judgment. This is an assessment, a judgment that includes the disclosure, that is the evaluation of the motives of our heart in the work of ministry. Motivation will be laid bare on that day. So consider... When we think about success, okay, that is when we as God's people, the church of Jesus Christ, think about success in ministry, all too often, unfortunately, we measure it by things that are anything but biblical. Corrupted by the cult of apparent, apparent success. Measured by numbers. Measured by buildings measured by budgets, and primarily, in our day, measured by the popularity of the preacher. The popularity of the preacher. Um, living as we do in uh, a celebrity culture, oftentimes Christians create a kind of celebrity culture of their own with their preachers. Such was the case in Corinth. Some of you are saying, I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Cephas. Oh yeah? I don't need a preacher. I'm of Christ. Division. In the fourth century, it was John Chrysostom. John Chrysostom. His name, well, that's not his name, but Chrysostom means golden-mouthed. A very eloquent preacher. And when he would preach... 
the people in mass would stomp their feet, equivalent to our applause. And he would say, stop it. He would pause and say, stop. In the 16th century, it was Martin Luther who was appalled by the fact that people would refer to themselves as Lutheran. He said, what is, what is Luther but a stinking bag of maggots? And in, in the age of the internet, celebrity preacher culture is unparalleled. Unparalleled. And woe to preachers. Let me say this. Woe to preachers who feed into the cult of personality and view ministry as a popularity contest. Woe to you. Now, on the one hand, um, there is indeed a call for appreciation of those who teach the word. Okay? You can just listen to these. I don't have these on the board for you. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12. Paul writes, Appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. Hebrews 13, verse 7. Remember those who spoke the word of God to you. Verse 17. Obey them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. 1 Corinthians 3. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. 1 Timothy 5, verse 17. Um, elders who rule well and are considered, are considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Okay, that is having a healthy appreciation for those who labor over your souls while at the same time making sure you are not elevating them in a way that dishonors the master, Jesus Christ. The balance. Now, in our studies leading up to this very soul-searching and motivation-examining, motive-examining text, remember, Paul is addressing a problem in Corinth with regard to divisions within the church there. Divisions, factions, a people who are overly fond of their favorite preachers. And by the way, it was no fault of the preacher. They were siding up, saying, I am of Apollos, I am of Paul, I am of Cephas, and so on. And what, what, the reason they were doing it was to, to feed their own ego. But as a result, then and now, they were diminishing the gospel. Diminishing the gospel. They were feeding their egos to appear wiser, smarter, more spiritual. Now, they had been Christians for four to five years at this point, and they, they, they really considered themselves as having arrived. They were mighty and, and spiritual. They were super Christians. So Paul, when he gets word of this, he writes to them, and he brings the cross front and center. I came preaching nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because only when you keep the cross in perspective do you realize that there's no such thing as a super Christian, but only a super Savior. 
Any super Christians among us this morning? Repent. See, their true spiritual condition was that they were nothing more than little baby Christians. Verse 1, infants in Christ. Infants in Christ. Notice verse 2, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. And by the way, once again, if you weren't here last week, this is not a call specifically for, for deeper teaching, deeper doctrine. Reminded as we were last Lord's Day that solid food is not for smart people. Solid food is for humble people. And the call for them was to humble themselves, abandon their worldly thinking, because they were being characterized by the, by the flesh. Fleshy. Paul says you're being fleshy. That is, they were characterized by strife. Look at it, verse 3. Jealousy and strife. That's what described the Corinthians. Super Christians? No, you're filled with jealousy and strife. Let me say this. Any Christian who's constantly at strife with church leadership, any Christian who's constantly at strife with fellow Christians is fleshy, full of pride. Any Christian who always tries to justify him or herself when confronted or challenged is fleshy, prideful. Any Christian who blames their lack of spiritual maturity on another is fleshy, prideful. They were walking like fleshy people, says Paul. And remember in verses 3 and 4, Paul uses two different Greek words words intentionally. He uses the word sarkikos and sarkinos. That which is just flesh, that which is characterized by the flesh, specifically little babies. But remember, he does not refer to them as sukikos, chapter 2, verse 14, as natural. He doesn't refer to them as unregenerate. Because the natural man or woman cannot understand the things of God. They are not natural. They have received the Spirit of God. But they're living as though they're void of the Spirit of God. Fleshy. So Paul reminds these Corinthians that their boasting in human teachers is just all too human. Factions within the church... Dividing yourselves up, showing allegiance to this man and this man. You're fleshy. So he moves now in his argument to define the nature of the minister. Okay, what is the nature of the minister? You, you Corinthians are all bowed up and you're all divided. Let me tell you the nature of the minister. We are servants. We are diakonos. From where we get the word deacon. We are instruments in the hand of God. Verse 5, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you all believed. We came preaching Christ. And by grace you believe. And the emphasis here is on the activity of serving. One commentator points out that Paul 
depersonalizes and depedestalizes himself and Apollos. And notice he doesn't ask who is Apollos, who is Paul, but what? What is Apollos? What, what, what is Paul? His focus is on the office of the minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are servants, instruments of God. Notice it's not Paul, the premier apostle. It's not Apollos, the, the golden-tongued orator. No, we're diakonos. And notice he doesn't say reverend. We're not reverend. You know, Charles Spurgeon had disdain for clergy who were called reverend. Did you know that? They're diakonos. Why do they refer to themselves as servants? Because Paul is aligning and identifying both he and Apollos with their master, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to lay down his life as a ransom for the many. The creator of the universe, servant. Paul says, yeah, I'll identify with him. No need to call me reverend. They're instruments in the hands of almighty God. Notice he doesn't diminish their role. He's just putting everything into proper perspective. We are instruments of the most high through whom you all came to faith. Verse six, notice, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. This is his work. Notice he uses an agricultural metaphor. Paul and Apollos and other ministers of the gospel to this very day, you know what they are? They're plowboys. That's what they are. They're sowing the seed. They're plowboys and they're water boys. You want to be referred to as a plowboy or a water boy? I'm happy to be. They irrigate the seed of the word, they plant it and they irrigate. Only God can cause the growth. This is his work. So close your mouth with your grand ideas and stick to my word. Thus says the Lord of God, God Almighty. Amen. Amen. Preach the word, preacher, is what Paul will instruct Timothy. Preach the word when it's popular, when it's not popular. No ear ticklers. In other words, Paul planted... Apollos watered, but neither one of them was responsible for its success. Amen. So then, verse 7, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. But God, he's everything who causes the growth. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Now, that's where we're going. But they are one, okay, meaning there, there's unity in the work. The goal is the same. The ministry of the word is the same. Plant it, water it. Water it, water it, water it once it's planted. And wait. I'm waiting. Not, not necessarily in this congregation, but other people I've ministered to throughout, the, throughout 
25 years or so, I'm waiting, 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 praying, praying. Praying is watering also, by the way. Waiting. So the ministry, Paul says, is one of planting and watering. You can do nothing about the harvest, so don't change the message. No need to try to make it more palatable. Seeker-sensitive. Entertaining. Preach the word. Those of you raising families, planting the word of the gospel of Jesus Christ into the hearts of your children, watering it with prayer, watering it with discipleship, realize this, only God can give the increase. When he does, you have nothing to boast about. So don't boast, rejoice in the Lord who brings forth the harvest. Only he can provide the increase. Increase, verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. You, church, are God's field, God's building. Okay, so there we have the nature of the minister, and in verses 10 through 12, follow this now, we, we move from the nature of the minister to the work of the ministry and the materials involved in building. So Paul changes metaphors here. He moves from familial, that which is familial, infants, to the agricultural, farmers, to that which is architectural, notice, builders, verses 10 and 11. According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. Each preacher, each minister must be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He's the foundation. Notice, verse 10, according to the what of God? The what? Grace. grace. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, writes Paul, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation right there in Corinth. In Corinth. What is the foundation? It's Jesus Christ and him crucified. The only way to the Father, eternal Son of God, who's given his life blood, dying upon a Roman cross, raised from the dead, ascended to the right hand of the Father, having received an eternal kingdom in a human glorified body. Redeemer, Savior, Master, Lord, King, Judge. Jesus doesn't judge. He is the judge. Newsflash, he is the judge. Any other foundation that is laid, beloved, is not a church. They may call it a church, but it's not a church. If it's not Jesus Christ in him crucified, raised again, ascended, the one who rules and reigns, it's not a church. Social justice is not a foundation. Political chatter is not a foundation. Politically correct talking points is not a foundation. Jesus Christ in him crucified is the only foundation. Now, 
verse 12. Now that we have that settled, says Paul, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality, notice not quantity, but quality of each man's work. This passage, along with James 3, verse 1, scares me to death. And it has, as long as I've been in ministry. You want to know why we stick to doing what we do? That's why. This is why. Right here. So following the, the, the change in metaphor from you know, vineyard to building is no doubt based in part upon the theological connection between Israel's temple and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not replacement theology, it's fulfillment theology. Are you with me? Probably alluding to 1 Chronicles 29, our Old Testament reading this morning, where we read about the high quality and their quantity of gold, silver, and all that was used in the building of the physical temple of Israel, Solomon's temple. Along with the desire for God's people to consecrate themselves to the Lord in response to his splendor. That's what we read. And if we look forward to the revelation given to John it will, that describes the new heaven uh, and the new earth, Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. We read about gold and precious stones and all. All of this is in our mind here when, when Paul pens this. Verse 13, each one's work will be, re will be revealed by fire. Okay, now work denotes that which is being done in gospel ministry. That's the work, gospel ministry. And the motivation, the motivation on that day, every aspect of motivation in that man's work will become evident as it will be revealed on the day. What's the day? It is the day. <laughs> the day. The day of the Lord, the eschatological day of judgment, the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, that work will be entirely disclosed, fully put on display, exposed what it truly was by fire. What fire? If we're saved, there can't be fire. It's not that kind of fire. Look at Revelation 1. Verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice. Do I have this? Ah. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Okay, that represents the church, if you just read on in Revelation. And in the middle of the lampstands, that is in the churches of Jesus Christ, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were like, white like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of what? Fire. Okay, now that description 
is not what Jesus looks like. Okay? That describes what he is like. What he is like. And in here, he sees all things. He knows all things. Every minute motivation. And that is, his eyes will determine the genuineness of the man's ministry on that day, the day. All the building materials that were used down here, it will be revealed whether they were consistent with the foundation, Jesus Christ and him crucified, or not. You see why it scares me? (laughs) Now, Considering foundations of faithfulness, okay? Now, the foundation is Jesus Christ. Faithfulness to the foundation is preaching Jesus Christ-centered theology. The Bible. Jesus Christ-centered ministry. Faithfully feeding the word of God to the flock of God. That's my job. That's the preacher's job. Faithfully feed the people of God with the word of God. That is the gold, silver, and precious stones that are being conveyed here. The precious stones, gold, and silver of sound theology, biblical doctrine. That's the call. The preacher is to preach the word, not the wood, hay, and straw of man's wisdom. You know, some preacher who's known as a vision caster, a dynamic leader. What a great strategist my pastor is, building the church with his charm and personality and positive thinking and easy oratory. Let's make sure we preach at an eighth grade level. No, you need to grow them up past eighth grade. Amen. One amen. John MacArthur, in his book, I wish John were a little more bold. (laughs) In his book entitled The Final Word, he writes, quote, We hear people sometimes say in defense of ministers who fail to be strong in scripture and theology, well, he's got a pastor's heart. MacArthur goes on to say, but a good shepherd is not known for how gently he pets the sheep. A good shepherd is known for how well he feeds and protects those sheep. End of quote. Part of building on the foundation of Jesus Christ is to protect God's people, his flock, from false teachers, false doctrine, those who come in the name of of Jesus Christ. You know, in the context of false teachers and the context of false doctrine, Paul writes to Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, verse 6, the instruction there is to point it out, lay it out. If need be, name names when necessary. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say, you know, Hymenaeus and Alexander, they're blasphemers. Common defense, MacArthur goes on to say, for those who fail to warn their congregations, typically say, God hasn't called me to that kind of pastoral ministry. There is no other kind. 
says MacArthur. There is no other kind. Woe to those pastors who fail to protect God's people, end of quote. Sometimes, people who attend here get embittered and bowed up towards me when I name false teachers from the pulpit, which, here's the irony, they enjoy. And they'll say, not to my face, but to others, he shouldn't be naming names. He needs to mind his own business. Newsflash, second newsflash of the morning, this is my business. That's part of the business of every faithful shepherd who builds upon the foundation of Jesus Christ and him, him crucified with gold, silver, and precious stones, not wood, hay, and straw. So often, churches start off holding fast to the uncompromised gospel of Jesus Christ, but as time goes by, Sooner or later, there's this sense that develops in their finite heads, reasoning, you know, we need to do more to reach, say, the youth. We need to do more in order to reach the unchurched. Not necessarily wanting to abandon the gospel, per se, but what they want to do is to supplement or improve the gospel. Guess what? You can't improve on the gospel. You don't supplement the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what do they do? They integrate psychobabble with the gospel. Pop psychology. They try to mesh it together, creating all of these psychological categories, and they label it gospel. It's not the gospel. It's the watered-down gospel at best. At best. The gospel is not meant to be joined together with anything else, not political activism, not psychobabble of the day, whatever day it may be. It's not to be meshed with anything whose source is mere humanity. Then it's watered down at best. Because doing so is equivalent to, to, to going down to Egypt to seek counsel, i.e. Old Testament. Don't do that, says Paul. So the gospel, the reason we don't do that is because the gospel's supernatural. It's the supernatural work of God. That is, it includes incarnate God, Incarnate God, God incarnate, he comes to earth, he's crucified on a Roman cross, resurrected. He is Messiah, he's the only way to the Father. He ascended and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. And then he descended by the resident presence of his spirit to reside in his people who are a what? Kingdom of? Priests, a royal priesthood. Ministers of the gospel. It starts here and it flows out. We're all ministers of the gospel. 
So the sort of materials used here, notice, if you look at the text, they have decreasing value, right? Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, decreasing value and increasing flammability. Yeah. This is why it scares me. So what the fiery eyes of Christ will, be, will, will reveal on that day is what the man labored with while he was on earth in Christ's name. In Christ's name, they labored with perhaps things that down here had visible increase value, but it will be exposed on that day for a corruption of Christian, the Christian message and Christian methods in delivering the message. It will be burned up. Maybe it was to fill seats. Maybe it was to, to stroke egos, to stir emotions, to excite people with esoteric manipulations. Well, that place is a powerful place. I don't know what happens there, but when I walk out, the hair's standing up on the back of my neck. What's the gospel? 60 seconds or less. <laughs> Led by pastors who view themselves in a popularity contest. Danger. They think they're in a celebrity race. So, we'll see on that day the flammable materials that were used for, you know, personal kingdom building. You heard the doctrine of triumphalism. The health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. It'll all be burned up. Seeking the, the praise and the applause of men. It'll all be burned up. Have we learned anything in 2,000 years since Corinth? Has the church learned anything in 2,000 years? Apparently not. Apparently not. Not as a whole. We're, we're still lured by, as a whole, that which goes beyond the word. And in chapter 4 and verse 6, Paul talks about not going beyond what is written. So preacher, preach that which is written. Why? Because... Building on the foundation of Jesus Christ and him crucified, a ministry using human wisdom is like using lumber from Home Depot. Right, Frega? It's full of knots already, and it already comes with termites. <laughs> Why use it? It's going to burn on that day, says the Lord. And then, of course, James gives us this admonition, James 3, verse 1, look at it. Let not many of you become teachers, for we will receive a stricter judgment. This judgment on this day reveals both faithful and unfaithful ministers. Now, we're going to see that they're both saved. The faithful minister saved, the unfaithful minister saved. We'll see that in a moment. But then there's another category we'll look at next time. They were false ministers. <laughs> church wreckers. So you have gold, silver, precious stones. Those are materials consistent with the foundation, compatible, that is, with the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Compatible with Christ, sound doctrine. 
not syncretism. Gospel and human wisdom, that's nonsense. It's a waste of time. Verse 14, if any man's work, which he has built on it, remains, he will receive a what? A reward. Now, this ought to uh, motivate some concerted effort on preachers, on the preacher's part at least. Whatever survives his scrutiny, he'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Well done. I, I, yeah, I often ask the question, why it is that some Christians get all tripped up over the idea of rewards? As though somehow rewards are contrary to grace. You ever heard this? See, my background is Orthodox Presbyterian. And it's usually my good old Presbyterian brothers who will say, Christ is our reward. That's true. That's true. But if you you read the text, that isn't what he's talking about because these rewards actually come from Christ. Are you with me? They come from Christ. He's the ultimate reward, if you will. Faithful service is rewarded on this day by Christ. So it's important that we understand that that grace and reward are complementary. They're not incompatible. They're complementary. Paul is saying, all that is according to the grace given to me, verse 10, all that is according to this grace, unmerited favor, gifts given to him by God, he employed those gifts for the glory of God by the power of God, which is the gift of God's grace. The salvation of souls. We see this? You know, now let me say this. It is foolish for any Christian to, to think, well, I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven. That's good. That's all that matters. I mean, what, what does it really matter if my whole Christian life and what I've done is burned up on that day because I'm told here that at least I'm going to heaven? You, you better rethink that. Because if you notice here, Paul does not reason with a cavalier attitude like that. Notice the reality of the great day. Some will what? Suffer what? Loss. That doesn't mean the loss of salvation. They will suffer loss, which means there's going to be some sense of shame on that day for these preachers. Some sense of shame. I mean, there's, heads are going to hang low on this day when their work is consumed. It says they suffer loss. Is it after that he wipes away every tear? I don't know. They suffer loss. And praise be to God for the next clause. Notice. But he himself will be saved. The unfaithful minister who used materials that are consumed, he himself will be saved so as through fire. In other words, it will be as though they are jumping out of a burning wooden structure that they spent all of their life and effort building. It's engulfed by flames, and they have no works on that day to present to Christ. No works of praise. No works of praise to present to the master whose name they declared down here. 
Oof. Christ is the foundation upon which they stand. Notice, they are Christian. These ministers stood on the foundation of Jesus Christ. They're they're saved. They are indeed in Christ. But their motivations for ministry, their motivation for service, were materials that they used that were incredibly flammable. Consumed. They have not denied the doctrine of Jesus Christ alone for salvation, that he's the only means. They stand on that foundation, but their preaching, their teaching was loaded with humanistic wisdom. Their teaching, their preaching was loaded with cultural conditioning, a political agenda, corruptions of scripture, ear-tickling, man-pleasing messages. It all goes up in flames on that day, but they're saved. They suffer loss. Now, that's the primary context. The primary context here is to those who have formal recognition as ministers of the gospels, elders, our deacons. That's why I tell you time and time again, when we have elders and deacons meetings, the context of our meeting is that we keep the main thing the main thing. This is why. That we stay the course. That we don't get off track. Make no mistake, on this day, the day, it does not only include preachers and teachers and those who do the formal, if you will, uh, work of the ministry, but 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10, notice, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 10. Every one of us will have our works tried and it will be revealed what sort they were. Now notice this. Important. Sobering text, isn't it? Everyone's like this. Whew. And we ought to be. But remember the foundation upon which you stand. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Your sins are forgiven past, present, and future. Therefore, let us do works of ministry that glorify the one who purchased us. See, everything's responsive. You're not earning anything. Amen? can't earn your salvation. He earned it all. So notice the criterion isn't how much we did. It's not a matter of volume. It's not just, let's go be busy for Jesus. That'll just wear you out because you'll be doing it in your own strength and then you'll quit. Just let them do it. You got to do it by the power of the Spirit. This is all about quality. Again, verse 10, let each one take care how he builds. Verse 10, Paul says, the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Verse 13. It's not the amount, but the sort of material that will be tested. Consider this. Consider Christian giving. You're like, oof. No, let's consider it because this happens to be a very giving church, so let's consider it. Greedy hearts will be revealed on that day. Pretentious hearts will be uncovered on that day. The fiery eyes of Christ will expose every showy motive. Look at me. Look at how much I give, and then, you know, drop it all over the place. Every showy motive, 
and every miserly withholding. Remember in our study of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus was in the temple one day. We read this. Jesus one day sat down opposite the treasury box in the middle, that was in the middle of the temple courts, treasury box, and watched people putting money into the offering box. Now, Josephus, the first century historian, tells us that there were these, these um, horn-shaped receptacles on top of these treasure boxes located um, with, throughout the um, temple courts. Okay? We read here, many rich people put in large sums poor widow put in two small coins. He called his disciples together and he taught them a lesson on those who gave out of abundance, just out of abundance. You know, they, they could have given much more, but the motives of their heart were revealed. And then the one who gave everything she had. Now the lesson there, by the way, context is on the scribes who devour widows houses. So under compulsion, she felt she had to give, and she gave all that she had, and she should not have given all that she had. They're just a bunch of robbers. That's the, that's the context, okay? Nevertheless, the point is this. He sees the motives of all. All. Pretense, manipulation, and miserliness, he sees it all. You know, we pass the plate here. Why? It is a form of what? Worship. And we provide envelopes for discretion. Now, you could pull out an envelope, wave it in the air, like you what? Just don't care. Drop it so everyone can see. But when it gets back to the deacons to do the count, that envelope happens to be empty. But what a show. Oh, good show. On that day, as an example, will be revealed for what it is. And by the way, the best medicine for greed is generous, consistent giving. Can I get a witness from the congregation this morning? <laughs> okay, let's be clear. Let's be clear about this text. This is not salvation by works. This is not salvation according to works. This is indeed rewards according to the material used to build upon the foundation who is Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what this is. And not every Christian in heaven will have the same reward. Specifically preachers, some will suffer loss. That's what Paul's teaching us here. Amen? So here then, the day will expose faithful ministers, unfaithful ministers, both of whom were saved, right? They're on the foundation, Jesus Christ, they're saved, but following this divine truth, we're not going to get into this now. This is for next week, but just another sober warning as we look at this. There are also false ministers, and let's include church wreckers who are members, so to speak, because on the same token of building on the only foundation, of, which is Jesus Christ, the opposite is also true. Ministers will be destroyed who deny the foundation, which is Christ and him crucified. If you want to blow up a building, what do you go after? The foundation. They deny blood atonement. Woe to the preacher who denies blood atonement. Woe to the preacher who says, Jesus is a way, but not the only way. Beware to the one who professes to be Christian who says, Jesus is a way, but not the only way. You've just blown up the foundation, which means you're not standing on the foundation. 
which means you too will be destroyed. Repent. Repent today. Come and stand upon the foundation, and you too shall be saved. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Whoever denies the foundation, whoever spurns the gospel, that is the sole mercy and grace of God through Jesus Christ alone, will be destroyed. Church wreckers, always dividing, beware. Church to church, troublemaking, beware, repent. Today's the day, repent. So, that's a preface for next week. To conclude, for those of you looking at your watches, I believe another one of the flammable materials in that day will be, let's make sure we keep it short and sweet. Unless there's sound content. Remember R.C. Sproul when he was here? That dude preached for 30 minutes, but, and I'm not that talented and gifted, so never compare me to a guy like that. He preached like 34-minute sermons, and they're just packed and loaded. But that's according to giftedness. Are you with me? So short isn't always bad. In conclusion, the whole focus of Christian ministry is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Ministers are servants, not celebrities. Amen? Well, we don't have that problem here, <laughs> okay? That's not a problem here. But if, if, you're, if you're lifting these guys up on some platform, that's the last place that those godly men would want you to place them. Just go ask them. Like Chrysostom, stop it, would you please? So the question is, what, question rather, does what you are building with today accurately represent the intrinsic worth and character of Almighty God in Christ Jesus alone? That's the question for each and every one of us. Is what you're using to build on the foundation consistent with the foundation? Jesus Christ and him crucified, raised again. And the only way to ensure that that will happen is to be sure that we are truly and squarely standing on the one foundation, and that is God in Christ Jesus alone. Amen? Let us stand and stand firmly. The foundational preeminence of Jesus Christ that influences all that we do in ministry as a church, in its preaching, in our preaching, I should say, in our worship, in our service, in our fellowship, and in our witness. So let us always seek the Lord to test our attitudes and test our motivations behind what we do in the name of Jesus that it rightly reflects our Savior. Amen? Lord, thank you for this reminder, as, sober, as sobering as it is. Forgive us where we have failed. Renew us to carry on the work of the ministry in a way that rightly reflects the foundation, consistent with the foundation. Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, him crucified and raised again. Please bless our work. 
and help us to stay the course faithfully. For your glory, we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing hymn 404.